Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag. And I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right? I mean, no, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays a means floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get a mean in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Tom, better space food, Tang or Pop Rocks? Pop Rocks. Yeah? Pop Rocks. I haven't had a good Pop Rocks in a while, but there's some birthday parties coming up for the kids. So I'm going to try to see, hunt down some Pop Rocks. All right. I just remember as a child of the 80s, there being in that sort of moral panic that always existed, that some kid had died eating Pop Rocks and parents got very concerned about it, that they were dangerous. And meanwhile, I love Tang and I will actually go with Tang. I I think it's a wonderful beverage. And there was something about the clinking of the spoon in the glass and watching that stuff stir. (laughs) And it was it was better than high C, better than Sunny Delight. Kind of had all the nice sugariness of a soft drink without the fizz. Tang is awesome. It still is. So I'm, I'm going Tang. Tangtastic. This is Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Arnovitz. And I'm Tom Haberstroh. Tom, final six, getting down to it. We have an episode that completely embraced its urban identity and having NASA in Houston as our elimination. Mm -hmm. Equally so, the Houston Farmer's Market, one of the great great Mexican farmer's markets in the country. We've got our six, and I kind of want to just go over it with you. We kind of had tiered it out. I think you and I agree that like kind of Buddha is the most, you know, threatening chef. We had Damar and Evelyn kind of right there. You know, Nick, Ashley, Jay, a couple different tiers. But um, this was an interesting episode in that respect, don't you think? Damar finally slipped up. He had a rare big mess mess up this episode, not just once, but a couple of times screwing up um, and shaked him off of that pedestal at the top tier. He's fallen down, in my opinion, um, after a shaky performance in this episode, Kevin, very, very stable chef up until this point, never phased. And this time he... For the first time in a long time, he he showed that he is not invincible. A um, couple things we'll get to later on the Demar front, but yeah, I this episode I I enjoyed the space stuff. I I don't I don't know I geeked out over that. That was really cool getting to see the astronauts um, talking about astronaut food because I always thought it was just this like chalky when you go to like those astronauts science gift shops and you eat some astronaut food. It's that that chalky white thing. I don't even know what you call it. Oh no. Uh, Ice cream, the ice cream, the space ice cream that you always ate. Oh, the dipping dots, the dipping dots. That that kind yeah, essentially. Oh, isn't dip like that's kind of, I I should have included that in the up top. It's the ice cream of the future. It's not the ice cream of space. I love dipping dots. I love dipping dots. It needs to innovate. It's always been the, the ice cream of the future, and it's been 30 years of the ice cream. Has anyone has anyone worn out their welcome or no, at least it's uh, still great. Milked milked the whole idea of the future more than dipping dots. I don't know, man. I, I I'm a huge fan of thing. So to your point, this is an interesting episode of you're somebody looking to sort of make distinctions in the final three because there are six contestants. There are three on the top and three on the bottom, both in the quick fire and the elimination. And guess what, Tom? The three on the top for the quick fire were the three on the top for the elimination. The three on the bottom were the three on the bottom. So if you were looking to sort of draw those tiers, I think it's fair to say that episode 10 gives you the guideposts to do that. So one thing that's interesting is I think both of us would not necessarily put Nick above Damar in our power rankings, Kevin. But one thing I found out as I'm digging through the 
history of this season, Top Chef season 19, is that Nick hasn't been in the bottom three at all. Mm-hmm. This entire season, he has never been in the bottom three. Boot has been in the bottom three twice, Evelyn twice, Tamar once. Ashley has been in the bottom five five times. Um, we'll talk about that later. But Nick uh, has the highest floor of any of the chefs in this competition and is in the you know Mississippi Baker winning another quick fire, his third quick fire uh, challenge that he's won. He's only won one elimination challenge, but in terms of performance, I don't know if people would say that he has the highest floor of any of these competitors, but right now he does have the highest floor. He has not been in the bottom three at all this competition. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure there's some interesting stats. there, kind of lists of, you know, contestants who in the first 10 weeks did not get, have a bottom three elimination. And uh, I'd be really curious to see sort of where it ranks. You're right. He has a very high floor. He does not make food that does not taste good, which go figure is a really nice quality (laughs) to have in a show where you're cooking for judges and all of us who taste good is it. And I think he has sort of been a stealth survivor. Um, but as you said, more than a survivor, I mean, Ashley's sort of been a survivor, right? Like I can't remember the last time she, I mean, I know she obviously won a couple of weeks ago, but I, I feel like she has flirted with disaster for so, so long. Um, there've been so many miscues and yet here she is in the final five. Um, but you're right. Nick does not have the accolades, uh, accolades of, of, of Buddha, who's got 57 points, or, or overall has had a 57 point performance, only 52 in our counting because we don't count the first week. You know, you know, Jackson was on fire until his uh, his unceremonious losses front of the house. You know, Evelyn's been rocking it. She's in the high 40s overall. Um, but you're right. Nick has sort of been hanging around, hanging around. <laughs> but I didn't even think about it. You're right. He has not really made a bad elimination meal. He hasn't. And, you know, he's known as the the Mississippi baker because he gets he stacks all that bread. Um, he wins another quick fire challenge. But first, isn't that great that like you throw out a tent, you put ten thousand dollars on the table and that guy's going to win. Yeah. By the way, he always does decently, but I, I mean, his like if there's a correlation between incentive and performance, I think Nick has kind of uh, leads all 19 seasons in percentage of the times that you win when money is on the line. That's right. That's right. And and look, Damar had some interesting game theory on this episode, a little bit of uh, planning out, uh, doesn't want to give out too much of, of his tricks he wants to keep his bag of trips a little tied tight for for the final stages here uh we'll talk about that later but let's talk about this quick fire houston farmers market like you said it's a segment sponsored by our friends at chipotle um not chipotle i always see that on a menu it's one of my biggest pet peeves is seeing chipotle on a menu but they transpose the l and the t yeah i see that okay. all the time um chipotle gotcha. is giving ten thousand dollars to the winner but more importantly kevin forget the sponsor forget the actual challenge itself we see claudette claudette is back on the show and it was great to see her she's been on pack your knives and she was a wonderful guest if you haven't listened to that episode tom anything else just in a puddle of tears right now. I feel so bad for trading Claudette. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Whatever, Tom. Wait, Whatever. Wait. I gotta change my hashtag now. Now I'm Team Kevin and Team Tom. Colicchio. 
go back, listen to Claudette Zapeta on Pack Your Knives from her season. She was awesome. She's spicy. She's someone who is yeah. one of our great villains that we've had on Top Chef while we've been yeah. doing Pack Your Knives. And here, it was great to see her, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't even want to say villain. I just think not afraid to be confrontational. Yes, but a villain by Top Chef standard. Yeah, right. Not afraid to, you know, resent competitors who make your life harder, wanting to make it a little harder for them. Yep. And, uh, you know, as someone covering the NBA playoffs now, where like it's really getting kind of heated in these games, like it does, I, I do miss uh, the, 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 the more confrontation. Those hard elbows. People yeah. who, yeah, who want to rip your, your heart out. It's a competition, as we like to say. Um, so it was great to see her back. Um, the heaters are delicious. I, I was a huge, like, as a, it was sort of one of these foods that became popularized outside of Texas in the mid late eighties. And I remember like, getting to Atlanta, there was this restaurant called Rio Bravo that was like the first yup scale Mexican that had great queso, which I would always put on the fajita tortilla. It's just, it was food you can play with and it was always sizzling and delicious. Like it's, it's, it's a good, it's good dinner and a show food. And so I was happy to see it. it's a crowd pleaser. It's a crowd pleaser, Tom. The fajita is a crowd pleaser. In this episode, we had a pretty wide variety of, um, uses of the 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 uh cast iron skillet there um the fajita style where essentially nick just did this tri-tip and with a black bean gra- uh, braise and he actually made his tortillas which was scored a lot of points with the judges buddha did the same thing as well well buddha did not make his fajitas or oh, make, make his did? tortillas rather no no oh, wait, i don't I think he that. made his tortillas oh no i was shocked he didn't get dinged for that Oh, so he went with, he bought some at the market and then. I think so. I don't think he uh, made his tortillas. And I was certain, I was like yelling at the screen, like, dude, never, they always ding you for store-bought stuff that other people make. Wow. Oh, Ashley made, Ashley made her tortillas, right? Yeah. She made, um, you know, so, so it was just one of those things. And, and Jay, uh, was unsuccessful, but made her own Korean crepe. I really liked the idea of what she did. Um, the gochujang with, with the Korean crepe, but unfortunately the crepe stuck and she ended up on the bottom. Mm. Um, to no surprise, Evelyn came out with a great one, beef fajitas, marinating papalo, which for my money is just cilantro by another name. It's nasty. <laughs> um, with poblano and salsa verde. Um, yeah, you want to talk about Damar? Kind of, uh, nobody really took to it. Yeah, the seared steak, um, the grated chicharron. I love the idea of a grated yeah. chicharron. Give it some crunch, give it some fat on top of it and some flavor. The relish didn't hit too sweet. The mango salsa you heard from Claudette asking, why'd you go with the mango? And he just wanted that, you know, kind of uh, sweetness to it. And it didn't work. So Damar dinged for this quick fire on the bottom, which was a foreshadow to where he was later in the episode. Um, but Ashley, you know, she didn't have the salsa. She her her cheese stuck to the bottom. She's also in the bottom with Damar. And Jay, like you said, didn't have the crepe. So it seemed like everyone kind of not everyone, but a lot of the chef tests struggled with time management on this one. Um, and really, Nick came out on top. So, look, um, Buddha, I was surprised Buddha didn't win this one because he was he was called the overachiever of the day. He made corn sing. Yeah. By the way, what, what was the what was the implication there? He had a lot of elements. He had a lot of dishes oh. as part of his spread. You know, right, like the corn. They love the corn, though. They loved the corn. 
Yeah. And, and the weird thing is, is that like, I think Nick also had like a pretty impressive spread in front of the, sh- the, the judges. And so Buddha got you know, extra praise for that, but didn't come home with the cash. Cause that's, that's Nick. He's the bread man. He's the baker, the Mississippi baker. He wins again. Um, and he's going to be paying, paying the tab at the bar later that night. Yes. Uh, he it put money on the line and Nick is all of a sudden, um, Voltaggio. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. So let's go to the elimination. I, I have some questions, Tom. Yes. So first of all, I'm with you. I love kind of the milieu of this episode. They're in the space station. I, I thought the astronauts are really fun and not self-serious. Like it was, it was a really pleasant place to spend time. Um, I, I love that they did this thing. Here is my not critique of the challenge, my critique of the contestants interpretation of the challenge. So it's space food. I'm like you, I'm thinking you got to do something that's a little dehydrated and this, that, and the other, that there, there'd be very strict parameters. So the parameters that we're told or the contestants are told rather is don't create anything with lots of crumbs. Don't do anything with like excess liquid. That can just pop off and bounce off the walls. Yes. Okay. And yet then we see a bunch of judges go and make things like gumbo like stew like gravy and i'm just and then sort of to the extent that the judge that the many of the contestants incorporated the parameters and themes of the episode it just became like oh you're up in space you're far away from home i want something that reminds me of home yes like we've done that 40 times that's all i mean 35 of the damn challenges on this show are some call back to childhood or something your mom used to make or something that reminds you of home or something that reminds you of your heritage or something. And that's all good. And I love that. But I just felt like by the time we were at the table, with the exception of, of Buddha, and I'm really glad he won for this reason, that nobody else really particularized their plate for the challenge. I, I would say this Ashley did. Like Ashley. Yes. And, yes. And and I would and I, I know her dish wasn't executed beautifully and, and then the tuna was bland, but I give her at least she because everyone else is just doing like, okay, I, I love Evelyn. She's my contestant. I, I'm a huge fan of her cooking. You know what I think? She's a Jeff uh, Chef Gregory disciple. But like, okay, like what is a pork stew? Oh, but it's got some texture. Yeah, well, so every food's supposed to have texture. Like, oh, they like hot sauce. It's it just, it kind of degenerated into this. Like by the time we got to Nick's gumbo, which looked delicious. I mean, who doesn't want Nick making gumbo for them? But I'm just thinking like, why is this space food? It's wet. Isn't that something that's going to like when you're, the guy's throwing this gumbo up in the air, it's going to go everywhere. Like, I don't know, like four of the six contestants ultimately just made stuff that reminded them of home. Two dishes were good. Two dishes weren't good, but they had nothing to do with space. And I just don't under, I was looking for more molecular cooking. I was looking for more dehydration. I was looking for, you know, even the themes and I just didn't get that. And I, I kind of thought I'm glad Buddha won and I'm glad Ashley did not go home because they're the only two of the six contestants who didn't just say like, Oh, space is far. Home is close. I miss home. Let's cook home. Kevin, I couldn't agree with you more on this take. I couldn't because also the thing you didn't mention, but if you think about it, isn't rice just fancy crumbs? Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, you're right. Cause when you're making, there's always one that gets over here and one that gets over there. And right. Yeah. Like you don't eat, you don't eat rice without getting a couple off your plate and in your lap. Right. So like when Jay and Damar are making a rice dish, 
They're essentially making crumbs. They're creating a dish yeah. based on one of the things you're not supposed to do, which is have these things, these little small things that can break off and fly everywhere. So it's a total disregard of the challenge. And I felt the same way with you is that I think when they were struggling to come up to conceive with these dishes, Kevin, they decided I'm going to spin a narrative that makes this feel spacey. And inevitably it just became a garbled mess about uh, missing home. And I was like, I get it. There's that, that story angle, but none of these dishes with the exception of Buddha and Ashley felt very, if you looked at it, if you ate it really felt spacey at all. So totally with you on this. And I got to say Buddha, he is, he's mastered top chef, whether he wins this or not, what he did in this episode and what he continues to do on this show is not just have incredibly thoughtful dishes that, that spin right. We've right into the challenge itself. In many ways, he called it Pavlova 14. He had the golf Loved ball it. because of Alan Shepard played golf on the moon. And then it, it like had the dehydrated elements to it where it, it was just an A plus, right? And I appreciate what Ashley was doing here because yeah. for the first time, it seemed like Ashley joined the competition. And I know she won the restaurant wars because she was the matriarch of matriarch, the restaurant, and she was the executive chef there. Um, but I really felt like this was the first time where I felt like Ashley figured it out with the exception of the the, the tuna, I disagreed with the way she cooked it. I know the judges were saying you need to cook tuna through, but I'm, I'm sitting here, Kevin, I don't like cooked tuna. Do you? I'm with you. And I, I like, and I'm now a person who, when I order fish at restaurants, often I'm like undercooked, please. But, uh, so anyway, it's kind of coincidental. There is a restaurant from the Andrew Michael guys in Memphis called Bishop. And it's very nice. It's in the cool new like boutique hotel. And one of their specialties is tin fish they get from Spain and Portugal. So I've been eating there and it's just so Now, I think their point was, if you're going to poach, you got to poach in oil. Number one. Number two, it is true that as much as I'm with you, when you're doing that kind, like you would never want to open the can of tuna for your tuna salad and it being like kind of raw. Like it's like that for that kind of tin fish, you do want it cooked through. You don't want it overcooked. But I kind of got what yeah. they were saying. And I'm with you. I'm with you. But I think on this particular species, it's like, you know what it is? It's like, like if you braise meat, like you, I used to love rare steaks when I ate steak. But if it's a braise, that's not even on the table, right? Like you wouldn't want, like, you got to braise it. Like that's what makes it. So I think it's kind of the similar, but I think like, yeah, she missed by not poaching in oil. I want to give a shout out to um, a restaurant here in in Charlotte that does um, a pizza where they have the shears on the table. Stagioni's is this Italian joint in Charlotte, which is great. Like if you're coming through Charlotte for, for a long weekend, make sure you book a a reservation at Stagioni's in, in, um, Myers park, Elizabeth area. But the, the idea is like when you get the pizza at the table, Kevin, they don't cut it up for you. You cut it up yourself with the scissors, these industrial sized shears. And it just is more satisfying that way. You know, it just, it just, it feels kind of cool that you, you sit down at a nice Italian restaurant and then there, you just have this like, toolkit. And it's like, Oh, this is cool. Same thing with Ashley. I felt like all the people who were eating that dish had a lot of fun with it. It was thoughtful. Um, it didn't land with the, the way she cooked the tuna, but I felt like she really understood the challenge in the same way that Buddha did. Um, Nick produced a really good dish, but 
for for me, it was just kind of like, yeah, you could have done that on any challenge. Right. It was, hey, I'm 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 bringing my gumbo bot. By the way, uh, one thing I was pleased about is the gumbo I grew up eating in Charleston that my 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 grandmother made also had butter beans. I think someone at the table, maybe it was Gail, who said she never seen or Tom. Said, Tom, yeah. So you always had butter beans in ours. It was now we were kosher or my grandparents were kosher. So it was always like, we'd have me some pulled chicken in there, but it was mostly okra, butter beans, onions, tomatoes. Um, so, but I, yeah, butter beans were a big part of it. And maybe because we didn't have the protein, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of butter beans. and gumbo. Hello listener. Guess who's back. It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer. And I'm here to talk to you about butcher box. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum-sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. ButcherBox takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. But you're right. But Tom, like that's just one he's been having in his back pocket. Like what the hell does that have to do with space? Nothing. And it's wet. Yeah. Again, I don't understand. <laughs> like, like I kind of as a judge would be like, did you people not hear anything? Like basically the only parameters here is no crumbs and not no sauce or liquids. Yeah, I guess a liquid is like you can't do soup or something. Yeah, you can't have like a brothy soup, but like a stew, a gumbo, that's that's towing the line. It's a very borderline. So. Yeah. Excess liquid. I'm just confused. I'm with you, is that if you had told me, hey, they're gonna do space food and you said gumbo, I'd be like, What? No, that doesn't really make much sense. But I I appreciated the um it was cool to see Melissa do the the Zoom call with the astronauts in space. I didn't even know you could do that. Yes, that was very fun. And it was cool to have the chefs watching it on the IMAX theater at the Space Center. Um, all of those elements were great. And when it came down to the food, I'll just say it. I thought DeMar was going home. Yeah. I thought he was going home. Like, it was close with Jay. Um, Evelyn was fine. Her her pork and chili soup, the geese rojo was great. Um, flavorful. But the same category as Nick where it was just, okay. I don't understand how that's that's space food. But Damar, I really felt like his rice that he overcooked into a mush and yeah, it had some redeeming pickles in there. I thought he was going home. I really did. And for me, I kind of felt a little bit when when Jay was announced as the eliminated chef, Kevin kind of felt like 
you know, they sent Jackson home because he had a bad dish and there was no cumulative scoring system. They didn't keep him just because he'd been just crushing it beforehand. The first thought that came to my head was, I think they wanted to send Jay home because DeMar's, I think DeMar is just clearly in that top tier. That wasn't my interpretation. Mine was that it was so clear, and especially from the comments of Gail and Melissa, that the judges were so repelled by her meat. <laughs> Gail didn't eat any of the protein. Yeah. I mean, uh, look, we always say you got to nail the protein, right? And and it wasn't like her barley saved her. So I just interpreted it as, and someone said, I think it was Tom, there, you know, or, or maybe it was Padma, you know, the two components of her dish both fail, right? True. Whereas at least DeMar, he had some, you know, the rice was overcooked. I mean, the chicken was a little bland, but it wasn't, you know, whereas Jay just like, they were so clearly like repelled by that meat. Like, like, I, you know, and I mean, vaporized, which actually does have sort of a space connotation, I guess. Yeah. That's what Melissa said, it vaporized. But so I wasn't completely surprised, but you're right. It was a particularly bad day for DeMar overall. Like it is, um, this was a little startling because he's been so good and so consistent for so long. Um, but I, you know, it's the tears are really, I, I'm going to give DeMar a pass. I'm not ready to say that he's somehow down in the get a bad shooting night. Okay. He had a bad shooting night. And, and I mean, here's the, here's the question for you, Tom, if you had to pick one who goes farther tomorrow, Nick tomorrow. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I think we'll get to a point where Nick, Nick is the kind of chef who's going to go out on a pretty damn good dish. But we're going to get to a point where Buddha's hit his stride. Evelyn just doesn't make mistakes, for God's sakes. I mean, she just is, again, she is, I think she is. She's a machine. Right yeah. now, she's a machine. and She's the number two chef. She got some separation from DeMar here. But I, I will still take DeMar by a hair over Nick. Higher ceiling. And I think we're about to get to the ceiling portion of the show. I agree with you. I think DeMar, I think DeMar is still right there in it. Um, Nick is probably right below. I wanted to ask you about DeMar's not a confession, but saying that he's holding back. He's not giving his best stuff every time because he wants to keep it for the finale. And I'm curious about your, uh, you know, your thoughts on that strategy that, that tomorrow is still keeping a couple things in his back pocket. Um, which it's a risky thing when you do a rice and chicken gravy that just misses the mark. Like he almost got sent home. And I, and I guess this is kind of the same thing where like you're in the NBA playoffs and uh, you don't want to show all your cards because scouts are going to watch you run your best plays. And so like the Ty Lue theory is like, wait until the playoffs or wait until the finals to bust out your best stuff so you can catch the opponent off guard. And DeMar says the thing, which is I'm, I'm, I'm holding back until we get to the finale. And I guess that's, that's kind of, you got to do that on some level. You can't just burn all your bullets in the, in the regular competition, and then have nothing left for the finale. But it seems like DeMar is making a conscious decision here to not coast, but make sure that he has his best foot forward when he gets to the finale. He almost didn't make it. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm sort of have a couple of minds here. I mean, one is it totally makes sense, right? If you have some absolute killer dishes that, you know, can win you a title and you know that there are going to be some more open uh, competitions coming up. I mean, again, as we know about the finale, there are pretty much no limitations, right? It's it's understandable that you might want to hold something back. I think you could also argue that the really great Top Chef champions, there's no limitation to their creativity. Fine. You can hold something back. And oh, by the way, you've got 10, 12 other things you can do. Yeah. Um, especially on a week. And I think this is what I'm a little confused by is 
clearly he interpreted the challenges do do whatever the hell you want he was in the of the four chefs he was part of the four chefs who basically said oh it's home um <laughs> so i'm just kind of that's what was so surprising i understand as you said ashley's you know tin tuna that wasn't sufficiently seasoned and it's not poached great and whatever, but, but Damar, I, I don't, to me, they're, they're, they're not mutually exclusive. You can hold your great stuff back and still do a little better on a challenge when you basically ignore the parameters than chicken gravy and rice. And, and it, for God's sakes, cook your, your rice well. So um, I, I, I'm, I'm okay with holding it back provided that the, that you still have that your, your B through J games are still pretty good. Kevin, I was fascinated by the fact that there is a culinary doctor. A culinary doctor. Dr. Grace Douglas on the show. She is the head of the menu at this at NASA. And I was wondering, Kevin, that's got to be a fun interview, right? Like if you if you could interview or meet someone who just curates the menu for astronauts, that's got to be pretty fun. That's like that's a really interesting job. What what are the prerequisites for that job? Do you have to be an astronaut? Do you have to be in the in that field and then just really like gastronomy? I think it is super cool. Or do you start with the chef world and then just be like, I really like space? I mean, I don't know. That'd be, it'd be really interesting to, to to hear about that journey. Like, is it a case, as you say, where, oh, yeah, I'm a trained culinary at CIA, Culinary Institute of America, but I always kind of had a sciencey background. I always loved the, the sort of the scientific components. I'm I'm a little bit, I'm into that molecular gastronomy thing. And then I kind of got one engineering degree, but I always had a passion. For, like, yeah, you're right. Like, how do you, do you back in as a scientist into I'm a food lover or are you a chef who says, yeah, I've always sort of approached my cooking as sort of a chemistry experiment. Okay, like I, I have, I don't know. Oh, so do you, do you have some research here? I have her LinkedIn page. Okay. okay. Let's see it. She is, she went to Penn state, uh, food science major, got a bachelor of science at, uh, of science. food science, and then got her MS at NC state in food science. And then she got a PhD in functional genomics. Am I sp- pronouncing that right? Genomics, gen, gen, genomics. I mean, I guess the study of the genome. Yeah. So she started going into food science and then functional genomics at, and got her PhD at North Carolina state. She's a wolf pack. And then she became a food scientist and advanced food technology lead scientist at NASA for nine years. That is a cool job. That is a very, that is a cool job. Cool life. Yes. I was tickled by all the NASA stuff and I had this question for you too, Kevin. What's the most crumbly food? Is it a Nature Valley bar? No. I like these bars called Power Crunch bars. So in the large universe that is these like meal replacement bars, there's one called Power Crunch. It's a Canadian company actually. And it tastes like those wafer cookies, you know, and like kind of the textures that. And the peanut butter one is my favorite. And I kind of got Eric into them, but like the rule in our house is like, you basically have to eat it over the sink. Like <laughs> yeah. it is, there's a hundred percent chance that shit is going to go everywhere. And so I was in the airport, I was stranded at DFW yesterday for like five hours and they actually have a Seven Eleven in the DFW, like a real kind of Seven Eleven with like- And you're hunting for that, that bar. And they had them and I bought two because I just hadn't eaten all day because they don't feed you on planes, which is fine. But- I just made a freaking mess. Like I just, cause I wasn't, there were no sinks. Like I, and I was just, I was embarrassed for myself. Like, like it's like, I, cause I am kind of a neat freak and, and you know, there's nothing worse than like being in an airport gate area late in the day. And it's like people have just trashed the place and it's like, you don't even want to sit on the chair. And I created a mess. 
just by eating my bar. And and so that is the crumbly list food, the power crunch bar, but it is the best of the bars. I feel like the nature Valley, you always just have to have like a bib on to eat those things. You take one bite and it's just yeah, everywhere. Also the same as the other uh, biscotti on, on Delta flights or any, uh, any of the flights really. Oh, those you can kind of contain though. I don't know. They're pretty crumbly. They're pretty crummy. Not crummy in like in the bad sense, like it's bad tasting, but crumbly. I feel like they're pretty crumbly. I don't know. I think someone should have just like as a troll made like hard cookies or something like just trips away. (laughs) Yeah. Hard cookies. Yeah. What about, what about uh, one of my favorite moments of this episode, Kevin was the uh, aluminum halos that, aluminum halos that that buddha made um he had so much he's such a master of top chef kevin that he's just making aluminum halos just for shits and giggles on this show like he's got time he's making uh, to keep to keep uh to keep people the aliens not to detect him on earth kevin i'm gonna just go ahead and say it i'm gonna say it if it's buddha or the field i'm taking buddha i'm taking buddha i was about to say the same thing tom like i I just think there's enough of the the wow factor that the finale requires. I mean, I think Evelyn has a shot, but I just feel like Buddha is constructed for a fire. Did you notice that in the early, in the quick fire, he had like extra time? (laughs) Like someone said, oh, you did all this in 45 minutes. Like, like, and I think he actually had extra time. And and I, I just think that in terms of management and conceiving of a coherent meal, um, spectacle, technicalities. I think he's he's really, really apart from the field. I think. And again, I give Evelyn a puncher's chance, but I have trouble seeing anybody else in a four course finale beating him. Yeah. He also does dessert. By the way, he's going to win the dessert category in the in the four course meal. So give him a point already. Buddha is a mad scientist. He is. He's he's there with Doctor Grace Douglas. Uh, he's he's got a doctor, a PhD in Top Chef. He's there with Doctor Julius Irving too. He is just like he is. Yeah, he is. He is just there with all doctors. Jay goes home. Any thoughts there? Is you know I thought she was a really strong competitor, and and yeah. who knows we. We're going to talk a little bit of the last chance kitchen, not talking about the most recent one, um, which uh, it appears to be a two parter, Kevin. But we're going to talk about she's going to last chance kitchen. Jay, as the the uh, Korean Cajun queen, um, just didn't just didn't. This was a this was a the the Bulgogi idea made sense. But then she shifted. She pivoted, saying that it's not the traditional one that her mother makes. And it just fell flat. And I felt bad for her because I love I love watching her on this show. Um, And she talked about in her like exit interview, just how she's proud of the fact that she didn't have full command of the English language and she was still able to get this far in the in the competition. I do think in some parts in these episodes that she did operate at a disadvantage on those narrative ones because it's this she's not an, a native English speaker. And so I think for her to get this far in the competition, who knows, she might come back into it. Um, I thought she did a great job on this show. I enjoyed her work and I, she had a couple big wins in the elimination. We'll see what she is as a, as a, a last chance kitchen. Can you give us sort of the quick rundown of not the most recent, but the one, the, the preceding one with Luke? 
Yeah, Sarah and Luke. I was actually kind of disappointed in this, not because it was a bad episode of Last Chance Kitchen. I was disappointed because I wanted to see the blind taste test, Kevin, of this competition. Oh, they burned it in Last Chance, huh? They left it for Last Chance Kitchen, and Sarah did incredibly well. She got 10 of the ingredients correct, and Luke only came up with five. As someone who seemed to only cook seafood on this uh, on this season of Top Chef, I was very worried that he would just come up empty, bumpkin for for the the blind taste test but he comes up with five he said the cilantro tasted like parsley to him which i get it it's just bad parsley tastes like ass yep yep and uh he does a cauliflower with coriander cream with a purposely broken sauce and tom's like wait this sauce was broken did you mean that he said yes i like broken sauces and so he gets dinged. It's like Sam all over again. I like shitty potatoes. Like- <laughs> I actually like a grilled potato. Um, so then Sarah does basically carrots with tons of spice. She used all 10 of her ingredients. It was a little bit confusing on this last chance ki- kitchen, Kevin, because they only could use the ingredients that they correctly guessed in the blind taste test. However, you could use other ingredients and spices in there. So it was almost like it. They did the blind taste test, but it wasn't restricted to just those ingredients. You just had to use um, those ingredients in the dish. And it was it felt a little, I don't know, contrived. They only had 20 minutes to do it. Um, and Luke doesn't win. He you, he didn't use salt until the very last second and then used too much salt. And they made a big deal out of that. Probably a pl- ad placement, product placement for Morton's. And ultimately, Sarah moves on. She is a juggernaut. She has won, um, you know, like six in a row or something like that in Last Chance Kitchen. She didn't get back into the competition because Ashley won her um, play-in. And yet Sarah has to be considered the favorite to come out of here when she meets up with Jay. So this is a um, look. This is this is I'm rooting for Sarah, even though Jay's on my I'm team, I'm rooting for, for Sarah to make it back into the competition. Now, I don't think I'm going to I mean, people can turn off if they think this is going to be a spoiler. I'm very concerned about something I saw at the end of the episode. Are we about to see like a quick fire or a, I'm sorry, a last chance kitchen where like everyone gets to come back in with a chance? No, I think what that was is I think it happened in the last couple of seasons where they come back to be the judges. They come back to. No, like, I think I saw like one of these. Are they going to come back and be the sous chefs? Or, I, I don't know, man. I'm very concerned that they're going to do something like let everyone back, give everybody a chance. I, I hear it. Yeah. LCK needs to stay restrictive. It has to. I understand you're going to couple. There are a couple opportunities to come back in, but I just feel like given what Sarah has done, she should have a decent path to get back in at this point. You can't win that many competitions and then sort of like just be told, oh, now everyone gets an opportunity. Yeah, that would really suck if Sarah just didn't get back into the competition. She was just stuck in purgatory. I'm not getting overly worried yet. Okay, yeah. I mean, that, that's sort of it. I just, I'm really, by the way, I think if she gets in, man, I think she's got a chance for the finale. I mean, I think she's got a puncher's shit. I, I think- I think you're right. I'm, I'm with you. I think you could slaughter in right at, right behind Evelyn, potentially. I also think she's a great character. I love her personality. Yeah, it's great for too. TV. She really gets the medium. Um, she's funny. She's bubbly. She's super smart. She does these, she executes really well. Um, Luke, she was like, you know, Luke was asking her, hey, do you have any tips for me in Last Chance Kitchen? She was just basically like, fuck off. <laughs> she's like, nope, not giving you anything. And I like that spice. I like that. Claudette, a uh, little bit of Claudette in her. And like, come on, this is a competition. They've missed her. I, I think Sarah would have been a really good additive to the main show for much of the season. She got eliminated early. So we've really, you've only got to kind of enjoy her 
as an LCK competitor. And I think she would have really lent some, some more texture to this season. And again, I'm not complaining overly. I, I just feel like there, we, a couple of different personalities, the alchemy in this particular season has been fine, but uh, Sarah would have added a lot to it. 100%. I'm excited for space ball. Buddha winning this competition. I'm excited that he's on my team. Not excited about my other competitor, uh, Ashley. She's, she's not doing so well. You've got, um, Evelyn, Damar and Nick on your squad. I think I still have the champion on my team. Um, Ashley has been really struggling to like, you know, assert herself, but I loved her thinking on this episode, Kevin, I'm excited to see where this goes. Uh, you know, Padma in the little preview said, Buddha, this is the most rustic dish you've made for us all season. Gave mm-hmm. me a little bit of uneasiness, but as we've seen on this show, maybe that's just a uh, a, a juking of the audience to juke them to think that Buddha is going to land in the bottom. Um, that's all I got for this week, Kevin. I'm excited uh, on your travels to hear where you've eaten, and I I hope the NBA playoffs continue to serve you well, so we can get some more tips on what restaurants you're you're eating on the road. Yes, I will have a report or two from San Francisco next week. And thank you to listeners for Anthony Mays, our producer, for Tom Abistro. This is Kevin Arnovitz, and this is Hack Your Knives. Hack Your Knives.